Laker City, Portland, Blazers Nation. This is Jack Winter, your Portland Trailblazers beat writer for Clutch Points, and you are listening to Talking Trailblazers on yet another beautiful mid-May day here in Rip City. But unfortunately for you, you may feel a little more gloomy than this awesome weather and sun suggests, because if you're listening to this podcast, let's be honest, you're probably a Blazers fan, and you were surely not happy with how the draft lottery played out last night. Instead of vaulting into the top four, hopefully adding another star next to Damian Lillard, Anthony Simons, potentially Yusuf Nurkic, Josh Hart, uh, Nasir Little, guys like that, the Blazers instead fell from the sixth best lottery odds to earn the number seven pick in the draft. Damian Lillard's presence in Brooklyn at the draft lottery unfortunately didn't mean a lucky bounce of the ping pong balls for the Blazers, but just because the Blazers plans to tank, well, plans to tank, just because the Blazers brazen, brazen tanking over the last half of the regular season didn't get them the pick they wanted, hardly means that Joe Cronin and company can sit on their hands. In fact, this may open up even more possibilities uh, for the Blazers than if they had vaulted into the top three or four of this draft. And of course, we'll be talking about it all, the ramifications of lottery night with Justice Rogers right after a quick break. We will be right back. Justice Rogers, we are back with Talking Trailblazers. You're on the line. I think we're both kind of reeling from what happened to the Blazers last night in the lottery. Maybe I shouldn't assume. How you doing? Jack Winter, I must say I'm doing fantastic. I'm doing great. Uh, I'm truly enjoying uh, the playoffs as they continue and everything else going on in uh, the NBA universe, as we know, because there's a lot of other stuff going on outside of these great playoff games. Yeah, so you are not as thrown by me as what happened to the Blazers last night after one of the most brazen tanking efforts in league history. You know, it kind of just makes sense. It kind of just goes with how the season went, how the tank went. Uh, I mean, we talk about it pretty much every episode, if not every episode, every other uh, show is that the Blazers are just in this weird place, man. It's like they're in the Matrix or something. And uh, things, you know, aren't seeming to go, uh, I mean, I guess as preferred. Uh, they are having some, you know, they got Chauncey Billups. You can't, that's hard to uh, find a better coach, a better new coach than I'll, him right hey, now. Hey, I'll, I'll say this, Justice. I would, have been, right. I would have been pretty happy with Portland native Ime Udoka. That's another thing we've talked about. But right. Neil Shea had his guy from the very, very beginning. He earmarked Chauncey even before he fired Terry Stotts. Mm-hmm. Um, so really everything, you know, everything after he fired Terry Stotts was just, you know, was just, uh, just artificial proceedings, just semantics. Ime didn't even get an interview with Portland, which is just ridiculous. Uh, not only given his, his, his local history, but he was a, obviously a starter for the Blazers. He got his start as a coach, I believe, with the Blazers as well, or at least early in his coaching career, he was on the Blazers bench. And then they have three or four other assistants from Portland. I'm talking about Boston now on their bench. Um, it just, you know, he's, Ime is obviously really, really, really impressed during the playoffs. And then uh, really after January 1st, when the Celtics kind of took off. And as we've discussed, I'm, I've, I was pretty happy with Chauncey during the regular season, but yep, same. Man, every, but every time I watch the Celtics, I'm just like, Ime Udoka looks great. And it would certainly be, uh, be awesome to see him, to see him on the sidelines in Rip City. Absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, Totally different roster over there in Boston. Oh, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, he's doing an excellent coaching job. Um, you know, a hometown Portland kid uh, making it happen for the Celtics as they're in the uh, Eastern Conference Finals 
right now versus Miami. You know what I just remembered, and this is kind of a tangent. We were talking about last season's uh, or last summer's coaching search. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was there was the, there were those rumors for two or three days that Eric Spolstra was actually considering coming back home to Portland um, to coach the Blazers. It was I think it was like a completely unsourced rumor from from someone in Miami, but a pretty reputable reporter from what I from what I recall. I'm not going to name them, um, but man, wouldn't it, wouldn't that have been great too? Um, again, not that I, not that I'm not happy with Chauncey. I think Chauncey did a pretty good job. The guys clearly bought in. Um, mm-hmm. The Blazers started playing the way that Chauncey envisioned. Um, really, once they started tanking, honestly, right. <laughs> you know, that that's when they really implemented the two way schemes. Uh, you know that he that he likes to deploy. Um, but man, it's just been just been such a whirlwind over the last year for the Blazers, and the Spolster rumor is indication of that. And then them falling to seventh after tanking their way to two and twenty one post All Star break is uh, really just the cherry on top of a really really rough uh, calendar year <laughs> for, the, for the Blazers here. Right, and I guess naturally or organically, we're going to segue into another cherry on top that recently happened. Um, because not only do we know about it, but all the Blazers fans out there and those in uh, in Rip City are aware of the fate uh, that has uh, become reality. Sorry, which which fate are you talking about? Now I'm confused. <laughs> uh, which, uh, at least me specifically, I'm talking about the uh, lottery pick situation. Okay, okay, yes, yeah. yes, of course. No, I suppose it is time to see. I suppose it is time to see into that rather than uh, continue focusing on every everything else bad that's happened to the Blazers over the last year. Right, right. So yeah, the Blazers entered the lottery with the sixth best lottery odds. Again, that was after tanking their way to two and twenty one post All Star break, including eleven straight losses to end the season. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there was there was a chance. I think it was about a 36 percent chance, something like that it's obviously relevant now that the Blazers would fall to into the top four and this is considered by many and you know I'm not I'm not a draft expert or anything like that but uh, this is considered by draft experts to be a four-player draft um, in a sense there are, there are four star level players in this draft even if those four star level players aren't on the level of a Cade Cunningham and Evan Mobley and Scotty Barnes um, that is the general consensus is that there is a top four and the Blazers are well out of it now they will be picking Seventh. So, Justice, I suppose what we should what we should do now is discuss which prospects we like for the Blazers at number seven. Do you have one in mind specifically? I actually have zero. Uh, zero. I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with you. Uh, you said a four player draft. In my opinion, it's really a three player draft. So, uh, even after you know we found out exactly what was going to happen as far as the. Uh, the pick goes, and of course, the viral video of Dame looking just so disappointed. And, yeah, man, uh, that was rough. Right, yeah, yeah, kind of laughing in embarrassment um, as uh, they realized that the Blazers were going to be all the way at seven. Um, I think that really is the downside of this draft, like you mentioned, because it is uh, not exactly stocked with, you know, uh, blue chip guys and just stars uh, from the NCAA, even tournament. Um that's 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 going to be an issue for the now you can have your prospects that you provide of course mm-hmm. um but i think in any other year where you've got you know the first 10 picks or even maybe first 10 the 15 picks um the guys are all studs then the blazers might not be in such a bad situation but in this year where like you said four i give it three maybe the first three picks are the best in the whole draft and everybody else is kind of you know, interchangeable in my opinion. And you just mean uh, and you just mean Smith, Holmgren, and Ben Caro. Right, exactly. Exactly. That's it. That's all I see as far as what's worth. And we'll get into exactly what I think the Blazers should do, but I do want to hear what you think 
this, you know, seventh uh, slot means for them and, you know, if they can even benefit from drafting somebody in that spot this year specifically. Well, this wouldn't be such a big problem for the Blazers if what they didn't need was like an infusion of star power, an infusion of major, major talent. Um, and that's that's what they need to level up to where they want to be, to where Damian Lillard wants to get. And obviously his ultimate goal is to bring a title to Rip City and I, let's, let's be honest, unless the Blazers get really, really lucky here at number seven um, or, you know, make a move to trade up, trade down. I don't necessarily see that happening. I think if they trade this pick, they're going to trade out of the draft entirely, probably, or farther down the draft and pick up an impact player. Um, but the Blazers need star power. That's why they tanked. They tanked to get a Chet Holmgren. They tanked to get a Jabari Smith, even a Paolo Bencaro. That fourth guy I was talking about is is Jaden Ivey, who's obviously not a great fit for the Blazers because he's a ball-dominant guard, and the Blazers have plenty of those already. They always seem to have um, but man, finishing or uh, just getting getting the number seven pick is just a horrible disappointment for the Blazers. Unless, unless, and this is where I'll see into the prospects I like for Portland at number seven. What would make it totally okay is if Shaden Sharp, uh, the Kentucky freshman who actually didn't play a game in Lexington this last season um, after reclassifying from the high school class of 2023, if he somehow fell to number seven. I'm not totally sure that's going to happen. But you look at Shaden Sharp, and he's just between 6'5 and 6'6", 200 pounds, wingspan just below seven feet. He's already, you know, you can see it. You can see his, his frame really, really thickening out. He's got broad shoulders, really long arms, and he's just a smooth, effortless, explosive athlete. Um, he really broke out on the, on the recruiting scene last summer uh, on, on Nike's EYBL tour, just really, really rising up the recruiting rankings with off-dribble shooting, uh, some finesse, power finishing, and just major, major improvements as an off-dribble shooter, ball handler, and overall self-creator. He could be that three-level self-creator who the Blazers have long lacked alongside Damian Lillard. The problem, of course, is that Shaden Sharp may have as high a ceiling as any player in this draft, so it would not surprise me at all to see him go as high as number four, and the Blazers are picking seven. Um, so just, just in general, Justice, what would you think about the Blazers taking a chance on, on a guy like Shaden Sharp, who, again, hasn't played a single college game? The, the highest competition he's ever faced is, is what he saw on the UIBL circuit last summer. Look, at this point, my whole opinion on this is, I mean, what have you got to lose? I mean, we just came <laughs> off of, you know, such a terrible season. Uh, you know, our options, at least in my opinion, are limited right now. Of course, it does help to have, you know, a top 10 pick because at least – you know, you might be able to use that to try to um, bring somebody bigger in. Like we've kind of said in the last episodes, we are going to need some star power um, if we plan on having a better season um, going into the fall of this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not I'm not opposed to that pick. I'm, I'm taking a look at uh, his material right now. Um, he he's definitely has the length that I believe we both agree the Blazers do need. Mm-hmm. Um, I think every episode we talk about wings. I mean, and we're not talking Buffalo Wild sure. Wings. We're not talking wing stop. We're talking... You know, physical wings. We're talking tall guys, like you said, broad shoulders, long arms. Um, you know, can uh, still move and transition. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I'm not opposed to that. Like, like you said, though, um, I think it's it's a pretty high percentage that he goes before seven. I mean, that that's what I think. Even though he hasn't played, you know, a single D1 game, um, just with his potential, I don't see him, you know, floating all the way down to five, six, or seven. No, I could see Sacramento taking him at four. It wouldn't shock me at all to see Detroit take him at five or, or Indiana take him at six. Uh, right. though, I, though I think there is a scenario in which he drops in which he drops to Portland. Um, I'd imagine that, it, that the, 
the work and the workouts he'll be conducting during the pre-draft process will be pretty limited. I don't think he'll be going up against any other elite prospects in a one-on-one setting, uh, let alone playing three-on-three or five-on-five leading up to the draft. So it'll, so teams will probably probably just see him in a one-on-o setting or a one-on-chair setting, <laughs> if you will. Right. And Shaden Sharp is going to look absolutely fantastic. Um, in that setting, just because he's all, he's already so skilled and you know he's going to get more skilled and you just see an athlete like that knocking down shots, handling the ball effortlessly, um, you know, moving and pivoting and, and uh, you know, Euro-stepping in a way that only certain guys with, you know, a, a rare dexterity can at that size. And I would not be shocked at all to see Shaden Sharp go at number four. But, um, you know, if he didn't, I, I guess the I guess the problem – Excuse my dog there. Um, <laughs> why I'm my knee, by the way. Um, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, what I was saying uh, is that say say he dro- he does drop to number seven though. I that would be a dream a dream scenario for the Blazers for me. But I wonder yep. what Damian Lillard would think about adding a guy who realistically, you know, can't be counted on to make an impact next season. Um, when all when all he said is that the Blazers are going to level up as much as they can um, in 2022-23 because, you know, like we keep saying, he wants to accomplish that ultimate goal of winning a title in Portland. Maybe Shaden Sharp will ultimately help the Blazers do that, but that's probably not going to be for another five, six, seven years for a guy like Shaden Sharp or even most of these guys. But Sharp is just even greener than the rest of these players just because of his unique background having not played a single college game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. If he does drop down to seven, I think the Blazers have to get him. But in my mind, I think Cronin, I think Dame, I think whoever else uh, has a vested interest in the draft and even Summer League, I think there's a way that they move that pick to some other team because, like I said, we do need star power. We do either need a a uh, you know a five-star type wing or mm-hmm. we need you know, we need somebody and – I don't think, like you said, a, a rookie, especially a Shaden Sharp who hasn't played one game even at the you know college level, um, I don't think he'll make a big enough impact immediately for the Blazers to really improve on uh, on this past season. Especially because you know just to start off, we just need to get into the playoffs um, in this next year. Yeah, I'll say this. I, l- I was listening to a podcast today. It was actually the Game Theory podcast that's uh, by the Athletics, Sam Vecini, with his uh, most frequent guest, Matt Penny. And they were talking about how they'd heard some reports or maybe even been at a, been at a Kentucky practice where Shaden Sharp was by far the best player uh, for the Wildcats, just in, in, play- in playing five on five and playing a scrimmage in practice with John Calipari. So I don't think it's, uh, I don't think you can completely dispense with the notion that he could actually help the Blazers next season, but. Again, just for a guy who doesn't have any track record of high-level success, and you know the UIBL is obviously high-level stuff, but it's still prep basketball. It's it's an AAU, it's an AAU setting. Mm-hmm. Um, you can only take so much from that, and of course, for sharp scouts, have taken enough to you know make him an an, an elite prospect after he, he was, I think, even outside the top 100 in uh, his original recruiting class before last summer. Um, so it's not. It's not a foregone conclusion that he would be unable to help the Blazers. Uh, let's just say that. Another another player who I'm really interested in the, in the Blazers taking at number seven, should they stay there? And this is a player who I'd be shocked if what if that he wasn't going to be available at seven. And it's also someone we've talked about, Justice. And that's Jeremy Sohan from Baylor. 6'9", 230, seven-foot wingspan. He's a forward, can guard 
at least four positions, maybe five. He's really, I was watching some film on him today. He really, really impressed pressuring guards out to the perimeter. He's got really, really quick feet. He's an aggressive defender. He's a pretty quick jumper, even though he's not especially explosive. Um, and then as a help defender, too, he's just really active, has great instincts, uses those long arms, uh, you know, to really kind of disrupt stuff at the nail and on the back line. And then offensively, um, you know, he's a, he's a guy who you can do multiple things with. He can be both the ball handler in the pick and roll or the roll man. He can grab and go and transition. He can be in the dunker spot and finish. He actually shot 75% at the rim in college. That is a very, very impressive number. Um, and, you know, the Blazers need chess pieces. We we're talking about the playoffs and we're going to talk about the playoffs later and every team that's still active. And I feel like we say it every week, they have multiple wings who not, who not only can knock down shots and not only can score at the rim and behind the three point line. And some of them from mid range, but they're all at least quality or passable defenders. They are not being attacked by guys like Luka Doncic, guys like Steph Curry. Um, and Jeremy Sohan is that type of guy. Um, of course, the problem, uh, Jeremy, Show, Jeremy Sohan shot 29.6% from three last season and 58.9% from the line. Yeah, Mm-mm. exactly. So if that jumper is broken, and I'm not entirely sure there it is, his form looks pretty good, and he shot a solid 42.4% on two-point jumpers. But if he's a non-shooter, the floor on Jeremy Sohan is just going to be a lot lower than guys like me who really, really love his game and everything players like him bring to the table. His floor is just going to be much lower than I think, and obviously that ceiling is not going to be very high either. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Now, of course, out of the two, if these guys are both available, if Jeremy's available at seven and uh, Shaden Sharp, I am actually going to go with uh, with Sharp, even though he's be sharp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just a little bit more athletic ability there, as far as you know, jumping and um, you know, even in transition, I feel like he might have uh, might have Jeremy beat there in 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 that scenario. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, if if because we don't think Shaden's going to be available at seven, I do think Jeremy will for sure be available at seven. Yeah. Um, so if he's the best that we can get, you know, this is of course considering you know they don't do anything with this pick to try to get. Um, you know, some player from another team that we desperately need, um, then yeah, that that's not a bad pick. But of course, if it came down to the two, I'm definitely going with Shaden just just based off the potential and what I've seen, you know, from his high school uh, high school time. Oh, like Jeremy Sohan has star power. Shaden Sharp has star power. If that right. makes sense, like 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 yes. super, like superstar power, like shot creator power, mm-hmm. like the type of guy who can lead a playoff offense. Um, right. like he could be that type of guy. Jeremy Sohan is very likely not going to be that guy. He's going to be more of a supporting piece, um, which, is, which is totally fine. And the Blazers obviously need supporting pieces. And in an offense like Chauncey Billups, um, and, you know, I, despite the fact that Dane likes to dribble the air out of the ball, and Anthony Simons also likes to have the ball in his hands, it's going to be it's going to continue to be an emphasis to be an emphasis of the Blazers to move the ball around and play a more egalitarian style. Um, you know, a guy like Jeremy Sohan is a perfect fit for that, um, and that's and that's not even talking about what he's do, what he does defensively, where he's one of the most versatile defensive players in this draft. I worry a bit about the local reaction to the Blazers taking a guy like Jeremy Sohan. Um, and Justice, I'll actually ask you: Would you be oh boy. would you be upset if the Blazers took a player at seventh overall in the draft to average nine point two points per game? We'll Absolutely. But here's the thing: <laughs> <laughs> that might even be a bigger story. Or I guess I'll see what your reaction is. Yeah, I would be uh, not only disappointed but shocked 
if the Blazers keep this uh, this you know number seven pick. Um, wow. There's got to be somebody out there that would want that. That there's a player on their team that we could use, especially if they're a wing or you know maybe even a four or you know maybe even a a five that could play out there with Nurk. Um, yeah, I don't I don't see why they would hold on to this pick. I mean, unless you know, like I said, I'm all in for Shaden Sharp, but other than yeah. that. I think you got to move this pick because we have to bring in a veteran or somebody who's at least established in the league so that we can have immediate results. Because as we know, the clock is ticking on Dame. Uh, Father time waits for no man. And, you know, sometimes like right now, I don't think we have the time to kind of wait to see if, uh, you know, a Jeremy or Shaden Sharp pans out just because the guys that we do have there, the Dames, the Nurks, you know, time is starting to, to run a little short. Uh, for them. And they're, of course, pillars uh, in the offense. Well, sure. But how realistic is it that the Blazers are going to find that player with, especially with the, with the number seven pick to me, it would be different if they actually, if the Blazers vaulted into the top four, if they had a top three pick, if you, you know, True. like you think it's a three player draft, then obviously they'd be able to net a better player, a, a, a player with more star power, a player who's going to make a much bigger impact um, in, in the scenario of trading that pick, but at number seven, and we're, you know, when we're talking about, we're talking about, we've already mentioned Shaden Sharp. I've talked about Jeremy Sohan and we're going to talk about Benedict Matherin next. You know, I, I really like Sohan a lot, a lot, a lot. I don't think people like him and not everyone in the NBA likes him enough to take him at number seven. No, no way. Um, and, and I think the same goes for Matherin. Sharp is obviously a different story, but I just worry who are the, I just and worry and wonder who are the Blazers going to get if they trade that pick? Um, like, like I think the name that you're probably going to say, and then I'll just say for you is Jeremy Grant, right? Right, right. I mean, is, do we, do we think Jeremy Grant's worth the number seven overall pick, especially considering that the Blazers would then have to turn around and sign him to what I believe is a four year, $112 million extension. Oh man. Right. You know, because like, I mean, because once you once you factor in his number and then Dame's number, which is only getting bigger, it's going to be 45, 46 for next year. And then Ants, you're already nearing $100 million in salary. So that is big. And and then you have Nasir Little's uh, extension. You know, he's up for an extension this summer and then he'll hit restricted free agency next summer. And you have him to you have him to deal with as well. So if you're trading for Jeremy Grant and signing him to that extension, you are committing to a core basically of Dame Ant, uh, Nasir Little, Josh Hart, Jeremy Grant, and Yusuf Nurkic, and whatever and whatever the Blazers can add with exceptions or maybe smaller trades, uh, smaller trades out on the side. And I just do not think that that team would be good enough to compete with you know the teams who are the teams who are left standing right now, or even some of the teams who were eliminated earlier in the playoffs. True, true. Yeah, that's a great point. Oh man, we're gonna have to see. I, I, I have no idea because it is the off season for the Blazers. I don't know how vocal uh, Cronin will be or the next time we'll hear from him. Yeah, um, obviously Dame has been very outspoken on social media, not just on draft and you know the summer related things, but also other topics, of course, that mm-hmm. we might touch on later on um, as far as what's going on in the league. But yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see what happens with this. Um, of course, we all know every once in a while. In summer league, you know, a guy that we don't even know about or didn't pay much attention to in college, you know, comes out of nowhere and he's the, you know, leading scorer for the summer league team or, you know, he leads them all the way to the summer league championship. So who knows that there might be a guy like that that comes comes out of nowhere and, you know, could be a great asset. But 
yeah, I think like we've kind of even said as the season was going, we need we need somebody. We need somebody, and, and I would prefer to have somebody established that's already in the league right now. But right. Um, you know, they're in that weird spot where with the number seven pick, is that is you know who who is going to value that at a, a Jeremy Grant level player? Um, because yeah, it's not it's a short draft this year. It's not there's not going to be too many huge prospects even at you know six or seven. So. That's right. the downside. Now, you mentioned some guys could surprise us in summer league every year, and that's definitely true. But another thing that happens uh, over the summer is that you know some some guys who you don't expect to become available will suddenly just become available via trade. And we've already yeah. seen it kind of happen with the Phoenix Suns flame out. My God. Um, oh, my goodness. I almost, I almost forgot that happened until I mentioned it right now. Right, right. <laughs> just, just the con- just the context of that game seven loss. Uh, oh my god! I believe Chris Paul and Devin Booker, neither of them had scored a field goal until the Suns were already down forty. Terrible. Yeah, uh, certainly didn't see that one coming. But of course, what I'm talking about is uh, whatever's going on with DeAndre Eight. Could he yep. actually? Could he actually be on the move? Um, he's a restricted free agent this summer. The Blazers, as we've discussed ad nauseum, are very likely going to be an over-the-cap team. They are not going to be able to sign him outright if they bring back Josh Hart. Um, and then, you know, in, the, in this scenario, they, uh, you know, they'd probably part with Yusuf Nurkic too if they were bringing in Aiden. But they would also have to part with Josh Hart in that scenario if they're going to sign him outright. But for a trade. Like would you like would you consider you know throwing the number seven pick into a trade for DeAndre Ayton? Is that the type of thing that would interest you and perhaps make the Blazers you know good enough to at least be a surefire playoff team next season? Yeah, one word: absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Throw that seventh uh, slot pick away for DeAndre Ayton and whoever else you could throw in there that that would uh, um, uh, provide the type of. Uh, needs that DeAndre Ayton would meet, um, I think that would be a perfect matchup. I definitely, like you said, uh, didn't wasn't prepared for that, <laughs> and no pun intended. Phoenix Suns flame out literally. Yeah. Um, that that was just ugly. It was so bad, and you know to even see Monty Williams a little fl- flustered, and he didn't even give us much on uh, what was going on over there on the bench. But regardless i think it's it's confirmed uh Aiden is not only not happy he probably feels undervalued mm-hmm. and uh i i don't think he wants to stay in phoenix i, I really don't think he does that. for a while probably the whole season because they were so successful and they seemed to mesh so well um i just assumed he would be back in phoenix next season but at this point you know i think all bets are off I totally agree. Um, of course, the problem with trading for him is you just have no idea what the Blazers roster would look like after you do it. If you're trading number seven, um, and then you'd have to you'd have to meet his salary number two. Though he's actually, I'm actually, I'm actually remembering he's uh, salary matching would be easy for him uh, because he's still on his rookie deal, so that would actually not be a problem. But the Suns would certainly want more than just the number seven pick for a guy who was drafted number one overall four years ago and you know looks on track to play in multiple All-Star games and is certainly, what, a top six center in the NBA? Yeah, and, absolutely. And, re- and really a guy who contributes positively every night for you on both sides of the ball and even has a little bit of scheme versatility. Um, he'd certainly be a massive, massive upgrade on Yusuf Nurkic. I actually think more so offensively than defensively, even though I also think he's a uh, superior defender to Nurk. I think they're a little closer on defense than offense. Um, so that would certainly make the Blazers better. But again, then I just worry about their depth um, and, and the type of contract that they would be forced to sign DeAndre Ayton to um, in that scenario. I suppose it would even be a sign and trade, and DeAndre Ayton will surely want the max. 
Um, and what I do like about that more than trading for Jeremy Grant is then that at least gives the, gives the Blazers kind of an off-ramp into a non-Damian Lillard future because then you're building mm-hmm. around Anthony Simons and probably Nasir Little and DeAndre and then whatever other young players you want to keep around that core. Um, nice. And, you know, as, as ugly as it is to talk about, I think what happened last night, the Blazers are getting the number seven pick, just makes it more likely that Dame doesn't finish his career in Portland. I know it's kind of anathema to mention. Uh, I know. Oh, see, there was a whistle. There was a yeah, you know? I had to whistle on that one. Yeah, well, I know you almost can't. You almost can't say it um, in Rips yeah. that you know the Dame may not be long for Portland, but uh, you know just the way it went last night. Uh, the Blazers already losing that that Pelicans pick. That's another thing. If they'd gotten the Pelicans pick, they'd have seven and eight. Um, and then you could really be talking. Of course, the Blazers would be disappointed about not vaulting into the top four. But if you could trade two picks or even just trade one of them and then draft a young player, um, then, then obviously that's a much, much better position for the Blazers to be in. But as they have it, they just have the number seven. They just have that one major team building asset. And... They're just there's there's only so many things to do with it. I, I suppose before we move on, um, <laughs> we'll get off on another tangent. Theoretical trades, whatever it may be. I mentioned Benedict Matherin as another uh, as another potential pick for the Blazers at number seven. It's a guard from Arizona, also between six five and six six, just like Sharp. Not quite as long. He actually weighs more two oh five, uh, but I believe he's a couple years older, about a year and a half older. So he's, his body's a little more developed. He's not quite as physically imposing as Sharp, um, but he's an accomplished long range shooter with increasing versatility. He's gonna he's an explosive, slippery athlete. He improved with the ball in hand throughout last season, I would say. And if you're watching the NCAA tournament, you certainly remember that 30-point outburst he had against TCU where he was knocking down contested off-dribble threes, had that incredible poster dunk, and also making uh, making an impact in transition. So he has the at least the broad outlines of a two-way wing, a smaller wing, um, as mentioning, um, that the Blazers need, but Unfortunately, just defensively, he wasn't he wasn't a positive at Arizona. He has the tools to be solid on defense, like I said, but he lacks awareness and then just didn't always play with enough force or effort um, in, at, during his time with the Wildcats, which could potentially change in the NBA. Of course, we've seen it happen mm-hmm. over and over and over again, especially because yep. uh, with a team like the Blazers, he certainly wouldn't have the ball in his hands as much, so he'd be he'd have more energy to focus on defense. Um, so with Matherin, it's kind of, uh, you're kind of splitting the baby a little bit, I think. God, why do I use that phrase? <laughs> Another reference. That's I, great. I, I love I, it. I swear, man, only, only on this podcast do I use that phrase. And then maybe when Only I'm, here, folks. Only here. <laughs> <laughs> and then maybe when I'm talking to my mom, I guess. Oh, um, man. But Matherin, I think, you know. That he gives the he gives the Blazers at least the illusion of a guy who could get better of could of a guy who could potentially you know grow into a guy who has the ball in his hands and who could play at a just a, a sub All Star level. But then there's also a scenario in which he's not a starter because it just never comes around defensively for him and he's actually just a, mm. a solid shooter off the bench. So that's the type of these are the kind of kind of players the Blazers uh, you know the Blazers will have the option of taking at number seven and. Obviously, they aren't all that inspiring. Um, other, you know, to, to most no. people, I would be again. I would be thrilled if the Blazers take Sohan. I love that guy. Um, but uh, but other than Shaden Sharp, there just aren't many prospects who the who the Blazers would get excited about or their fans would get excited about. No, and I'll touch on two points here. One, I think uh, DeAndre Ayton and the Phoenix Suns would be a dream. I love 
mm-hmm. uh, kind of how you put it together, saying that yeah, once Dame has you know concluded his career and retired, I think he'd be a great combination um, with, uh, with <laughs> you. Won't even say it. I meant I meant when Dame decides to decides to leave Portland in like a year and a half, and you're you're still to our Portland listeners that you won't even entertain the notion of Dame playing for another team. You're talking about him retiring. No. As if for the offer. Listen, <laughs> listen, and I, I'll tell you why. And as disappointing as it is, uh, Dame has shown himself to be not only extremely loyal, uh, yeah. but, but extremely loyal to his own career's fault, in my opinion. I agree. Uh, we all know Dame is a great player, great all-star, Hall of Famer for sure. Mm-hmm. But he's he stayed in, in Portland too long. Uh, I know Portland's been great to him. Um, great relationship with CJ, the front office and even all the guys he plays with. But all those years, the, the years where he was younger, I should say, because he's not an old man, but he's definitely not, you know, 21, 23. Old by NBA um, standards now. Right, yeah, yeah. Old at, at, at NBA age. His NBA age, uh, they, they missed out. They really missed out. And uh, I know, you know, there's been a lot of front office changes, and it's like they're kind of trying to get things going now. But in my opinion, it's too late and I think Dame is so loyal, he'll just ride it out, and you know he's kind of gonna just get that old yellow treatment. I don't, I don't think Dame goes anywhere else. I think he stays just to ride it out because he's been here this long, and you know what? What do you do at this point? So that's one. And then two, I also believe uh, that Dame. I don't think he'll win a ring at this point uh, in his career. I, I I said it on Twitter the other day. Yeah. I put the tweet out and I got a little heat for it. And I don't care. I can take the heat. That's not a problem for me. Uh, but I I do think Dame is unfortunately going to be one of those players that has a great uh, long NBA career with uh you know all 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 the success he's had individually, of course, because you know the Blazers haven't had much success with him. Uh, I don't think he's gonna. I don't think he'll win a ring. I think he'll go down like the Charles Barkleys of the world, and you know the possibly the Chris Pauls of of, uh, of this generation of, of point guards that you know just didn't for some reason happen. And of course, in this situation, we could blame the front office. We could blame the Blazers organization because they had the opportunities all these years to put great players around Dame, and um, due to I don't know turmoil in the front office or conflict. Uh, there was just issues there. And well, Shay, let's, let, let's, just, let's just say what it was. Olshay right. lo, loved CJ McCollum. Olshay right. found CJ McCollum. You can't see me. I'm using air quotes. Um, <laughs> CJ was his guy. And CJ's a right. really, really, really good NBA player. That does not mean he's a good fit with Dame or, sure. or would comprise a title-winning title winning backcourt with Dame. Um, and after the Blazers made the 2019 Western Conference, Western Conference Finals where they were swept by the Kevin Durantless Warriors, um, you know, Neil O'Shea decided to extend both Dame and CJ to tandem very, very, very rich contracts that they're still on, I believe, for the next two seasons each. Wow. Um, and I think Dame even has a player option uh, beyond that, maybe. So oh, that's what really set the Blazers back for me. That was the pivot point. That's when Portland um, really should have really should have gone a different direction. But in O'Shea's defense, and I don't like to defend Neil O'Shea, it, there would have been a public outcry. Like they would have, this this city would have burned Moda Center to the ground if, right. if CJ McCollum was traded after the Blazers made their first conference final since 2000. Um, so, you know, the Blazers were between a rock and a hard place there in a way. And, you know, they're still feeling the ramifications now, even after O'Shea and really most members of that conference finals team have moved on. 
Um, so that that's that's where they are now. Justice um, is it is it time for us to talk about the playoffs a little bit? I, in my in my notes here, I have that we talk about them trading the pick, but we obviously did that when you were talking. About we definitely, we definitely did that. We are professionals, folks. <laughs> um, and of course, yeah, let's get to something else because I think we're probably depressing everybody um, on the West Coast and the Pacific Northwest right now with all this dang <laughs> retiring or leaving or spending all these years in Portland and never winning a championship. Well, here, so here I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Let me say one more thing that I meant to say before I got off on that last tangent. Okay. And it's not going to make Blazers fans happy. Uh, oh one of the reasons why Dame very, very likely isn't going to win a championship in his career is because if the Blazers sign him to a max level extension this summer, which, which is on the table, his contract may be one of the worst in the NBA in three or four years. He may be, he may be stuck here. Um, yeah, it's like a, you know teams that team. You know, I was going to say teams like the Lakers, your Lakers. Um, oh man, please! <laughs> <laughs> but I more just mean cont- the contending teams may not look at Damian Lillard making fifty million dollars a year, a thirty-four, thirty-five million, or a thirty-five, thirty-five year old Damian Lillard making fifty million dollars a year, and say that's the guy who's going to put us over the top. Um, you know, given given everything that comes with a contending team who's likely going to be expensive anyway, adding that much salary uh, to their books. Um, so yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's another, that's another factor as to why Dame, uh, Dame is very likely to not win a title. And I just want to, sure. I just want to apologize Blazers fans for saying that. And uh, oh man, yeah, come back next week. Despite, right. Despite- and, and look, and look, now that you said that I have to make my last point as well, <laughs> because we, we both agree on that, that we don't believe Dame will, you know, uh, end up getting a ring before he retires or whatever happens at the, at the end of his career. But uh, one thing that I have noticed, especially watching the playoffs and, you know, just seeing uh, the emergence of some of these uh, teams that weren't as successful, maybe, you know, five or even 10 years ago, uh what I've taken away from it is that the West, in my opinion, the Western Conference has caught up to the Blazers, where a few years ago, when CJ was still there, the Blazers, you know, were most likely a top five team in the West, maybe mm-hmm. top five, top six. Um, and maybe even a few years before that, you know, maybe even a little bit higher. Um, but now you have teams like the Memphis Grizzlies and you got Minnesota and you got yep. the Dallas Mavericks teams who, you know, were a lot worse than they are now when, you know, Dame and CJ were really rocking out. Um, even uh, if we go back to when Brandon Roy was rocking out, I mean, some of these teams, they haven't been good in a long time. And it's, it's sad to say that um, because of how the front office um, didn't really support or put the players that needed to be around Dame and CJ or, you know, they held CJ on for too long. The West is caught up to, to Portland now. And now they're at the bottom of the barrel mm-hmm. and all these teams that, you know, literally sucked maybe less than five or four years ago. Now they're at the top. And like you said, they're running out of time. And it's almost, in my opinion, there's not enough time for you to build this team to where you want it to be, to, to where they can be at the top of the rankings, you know, in the next two to three years, in my opinion. And, no. of course, in the next two to three years, Dame is going to be, what, 34, 35, maybe, or something 34, like that? 35, yeah. Yeah, so, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's not over. You know, I don't, I don't want all these Blazers fans to feel like, you know, we're just dumping on the whole 
team and organization, but you have to realize the kind of hole that the front office dug for mm-hmm. the star players because that's what happened. I love that point by you about about other teams leveling up as the or catching up to the Blazers. I think is what you said, and you know the yeah. the thing about the Blazers' success is you know they made the playoffs for eight straight years and they just had the one conference finals appearance and you know we you know how that went uh, versus a depleted yes. Golden State team. But the thing about teams like Memphis, Dallas, Denver those teams aren't going to be satisfied with just making the playoffs for eight seasons straight. Those teams are already borderline title contenders. Denver's certainly be a, be a title contender if they were healthy. Memphis was just short of that this season. And Dallas, mm-hmm. I mean, who knows what they got, what they got going with Luca. Um, oh, man. Yeah. I, years ago, uh, pre-draft, I, I was talking to some friends about Luca who didn't really watch European basketball and hadn't seen him uh, with Slovenia um, in the, I believe it was the 2017 FIBA Worlds where they won it. Um, mm-hmm. I'm struggling to remember exactly. But anyway, I was just talking about Luca, and I was like, yeah, he's kind of LeBron James, but a better shooter and not a, and, and not athletic. And that's kind of right. what, what we're seeing right now um, oh, with, with Luca and the Mavericks. This is kind of reminiscent of that 2007 uh, Cleveland Cavaliers team, which made the which made the NBA Finals, and then you know was swept by the San Antonio Spurs. LeBron just had a horrible series. He wasn't wasn't a shooter yet. Greg Popovich nope. dared him dared him to shoot even from 15 feet, and he couldn't do it. Um, but the fact that Luca is already, I think he's just 23. He's already taking a team like Dallas, where he's the sole star, to the Western Conference Finals, um, and I think it's going to be a really really competitive series against Golden State. That game's ongoing right now. Um, that just speaks to how good the Mavericks are going to be for a really, really long time. Again, much better than the Blazers ever were. Same goes for Memphis. Same goes for Denver. Minnesota remains to be seen, but I think their ceiling is probably higher than the Blazers ever was when they made those eight straight playoff made those eight straight playoff appearances. Just because they have Anthony Edwards, um, you know, he may he could he could be a top ten player in the league at some point. And if you pair it out like that with Carl Anthony Towns, you know, Minnesota all of a sudden could be in the championship talk. So it's mm-hmm. not just that there are that there are solid playoff teams in the West, it's that there are elite teams in the West. Teams who are going to be competing for the Larry O'Brien trophy for years to come. And like you said, I just have no idea how the Blazers are supposed to compete with them. Um and, you know, it, it may be a thing where Portland may have to readjust its expectations and, you know, and, and, and think, yes, I, I suppose, despite the fact that we just tore down this roster because we topped out and made the playoffs for eight, for eight years in a row and barely advanced past the first round, maybe that's what we're going to have to strive for. Yeah. And, and you know what? As you say, that was crazy to me. And <laughs> I feel like you'll agree with what I'm about to say, but you might not. But, you know, just just bear with me. Yeah. What's crazy to me is that, in my opinion, the Blazers were almost, you know, roster-wise and, you know, team being in sync and players meshing-wise, were almost in a better position years ago when the West wasn't as stacked as it was now, where you had, you know, Lob City uh, in L.A. with the Clippers, with uh, CP3, Blake Griffin, and DeAndre Jordan, and then the Lakers when Kobe was still there. Uh, and the Warriors, of course, uh, because they've been good for so long, mm-hmm. where back then you only had maybe three, four teams in the West that were elite or that were really competitive. The Blazers were more almost safe or more <laughs> had more potential back then because they didn't have as much competition because, you know, they're going to beat the Sacramento Kings. They're going to beat, you know, whoever. I don't think Donovan Mitchell was in the league back then, so it would have yeah. beat Utah. You know, they didn't have Rudy Gobert. So, uh, 
it's almost like, wow, look how time, how much time has passed and how the Western Conference has changed. Because as you and I both know, the Eastern Conference was where it was at a few years ago when LeBron was in Cleveland, when Derrick Rose was in Chicago. You know, the West was not as heavy as it is now. And we've almost seen a like a flip. Uh, and like like you said, the, the playoffs are just so competitive now that oh, it, it might, I think the Blazers really, really in reality, reality might be in a rebuild stage right now because that's, that's how far they're behind. That's how I feel. That's how, that's how, and, and here's the thing. They have their star Dame, but, you know, you have to put somebody with them for, to even, like I said, just to scratch the surface. And we've got Nurk, we've got, a, you know, young guys like Ant, we've got, you know, Nasir Little, but um, we saw what happened this season. A lot of injuries, but man, it just looks, I don't know. It just looks grim. I'll say that. It looks grim to me. Very grim. Well, I'll ask you a question uh, to which the answer is, will also be grim. Uh, Justice, <laughs> which Blazers who are currently on the roster, and you know, there's like seven or eight of them at this point with guaranteed contracts for next season, right. but which do you think could actually play in this Boston-Miami series? And by play, I mean not be an abject liability on either end of the floor or be so good on one end that then, you know, their coach could live with the deficiencies they present on the other. There's only one. There's only one. There's only one. And like, yeah, Dame is the only one. There you go. There you go. And it's Dame. And, you know, Jason Tatum would be relentlessly attacking Dame in pick and roll. Uh, oh as, as as the Celtics have throughout the playoffs, they've been they've been targeting smaller smaller weaker defenders, um, you know, in, in every series in every series thus far. They tried it with Gabe Vincent a little bit in Game One. That did not go well. Uh, yeah. My God, Gabe Gabe Vincent played very 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 well. The Blazers could could would be would be re- would really really benefit from finding guys like that. Um, but of oh, course, the, the Heat's player development uh, program has been incredible for years. Um, but, but yeah, getting back to my original question, I think that's probably the right answer. Um, and mm-hmm. Damian Lillard would need to be Damian Lillard uh, yes. to, to play in this series. The Damian Lillard, you know, who's been a, a top five MVP finisher before the Damian Lillard, who we saw at the beginning of the season when he was injured and extremely inefficient shooting about 30%, um, from three and, you know, was a, was a defensive liability despite the fact that he kept telling the media that, yeah, I think I'm, I'm doing much better on defense this season. <laughs> That guy, that guy is not playing this series. Uh, no. you know, that, that guy, that guy is a microwave scorer for Boston or Miami, um, and that, that just really speaks to again just how far the Blazers have to go if their utmost goal is winning a championship. And you know, we're I'm, I'm going to mention wings again, Justice. If there was a drinking Let's game, if there was a drinking game for this podcast, that would be that would, that would be a good start. Every time Jack <laughs> says wing. Um, oh man! Yeah, <laughs> a lot of empty cans. Exactly, exactly. But that's that's one of the reasons why you know I I mentioned those three draft prospects: Sharp, Sohan, and and Matherin. They're wings. Um, you know, they're they're, yeah. they're wings of differing type. Uh, you know, Sohan is more of a forward, a, a, a big wing, whereas whereas the other two are more guard size. Sharp, I think, can actually he's I think he'll probably bulk up enough that he'll be able to defend for us. And Matherin could potentially do some of that too. Um, 
but the reason why I, I chose those guys instead of, uh, you know, a, another guard like Johnny Davis or, or a big man like Jalen Duran is because the Blazers need wings and they need wings specifically to compensate for the weaknesses presented by Dame and Ant, um, even when one of them is just on the floor. We've seen what happens throughout the playoffs when teams are forced to play with two smalls. Um, or even play a system where, or even play a defensive system where they can't switch everything, where they're where they're forced to play drop coverage, like the Celtics were last night, um, without Al Horford and Marcus Smart. Like all of a sudden, Miami mm-hmm. was just attacking Rob Williams, a great great defender, relentlessly because he because the Celtics didn't want to take him out of the paint. And that's how Miami got a lot of their offense early in that game. And obviously Nurk is probably best in a drop, even though he's playing more aggressive, um, up to touch, uh, even even sometimes trapping the ball uh, last season. But again, this just speaks to just the Blazers' lack of versatility on both sides of the ball. Um, they, just have, they just have players who can only do certain things out there. And, and what makes winning basketball at the highest level is not only is not only star wings, star wings <clears throat> do multiple things, but role players who can do multiple things. Guys like Dorian Finney-Smith, guys like Grant Williams, um, you know, a guy like Andrew Wiggins, even like, like even, even Andrew Wiggins would be good for the Blazers. Um, yeah. You know, that that's, that's just kind of where they are right now. And that's one of the reasons why I, you know, I earmarked those three wings um, as as the most likely is my favorite picks uh, for the Blazers at seven. Um, and that's, you know, also why if if we're going to be talking about trading this pick over the next month, we'll definitely be talking about Jeremy Grant. Um, we'll, Pascal, Siak- Pascal Siakam will, will probably come up. Guys like yeah, that. Um, that too. That's, that's who the Blazers need. And unfortunately, they're the hardest players to get in the NBA. Definitely. And one thing that I do want to say, um, and I, I don't think um, this could have got confused, but to me, none of the, uh, or I shouldn't even say none of the, the downfall um, of the uh, the Portland Trailblazers organization, I don't put any of that on Dame. I don't put any of that on CJ. No. They're just the players. You know, they're there to do their job. They're there to play at a high level. And also, that's it. Take them up. Like, like, absolutely. Like, see, like, right. Because, like, like, as much as I would have, uh, I, I would have, as it would have been good for the for the Blazers for CJ to say, no, actually, Neil, I'm going to pass on that three year, hundred million dollar extension. Take the money. Everyone should take as much money as they can get, especially from, exactly, especially from a billionaire owner. Right. For me, it's all on the front office. Yeah. And at the end of the day, you know, a few years ago, it was all the talk about super teams. You know, we had LeBron. Chris Bosh and D Wade and uh, in Miami, you had the Clippers with CP3, Blake Griffin, and then DeAndre Jordan, who was extremely athletic when he was healthy, mm-hmm. um, and a few years younger, of course. And to me, if there's a if there's a, a way or a term that I could create to put it, is almost all the teams, in my opinion, right now that are in the playoffs are super teams, but they're homemade super teams. And what I mean by homemade is they didn't go out and pay a bunch of big name guys. You know, they didn't do like Miami, go and get Chris Bosh, go and get LeBron. They didn't do like uh, Brooklyn, go and get Kyrie, go mm-hmm. and get KD. These are guys that they brought up in their system. You look at the Celtics, Jason Tatum, Marcus Smart, Rob Wood, all those guys, those are not all all all-stars, but they're all guys that play well together. And then you have a Jason Tatum who's an all-star, Marcus Smart who's Defensive Player of the Year. And my point is, almost every team that's made it this far in the playoffs and even in the previous rounds, they all either have at least two all-stars on their roster 
or an all-star and a, you know, potential rookie of the year or a guy who's, you know, first team this or second team that. And I think that is where the Blazers are lacking right now. Of course, you know, we just lost CJ this year, so it's still mm-hmm. fresh. It's not like, you know, that happened two years ago. But you're, in my opinion, for any team in the NBA, you're not going to get far with just that that one guy. You got to have somebody to pair with them, and then you got to have supporting players that will fill in and do everything else, kind of like we're seeing in the playoffs with, yep. you know, teams like Miami and like these guys, you know, they've got a, a Jimmy Butler and a Bam, but it's the guys around them. It's the, you know, uh, six man of the year, uh, Tyler Harrell coming mm-hmm. off the bench, mm-hmm. shooting the lights out and shooting mid-range floaters. And it's like, yeah, you can't, sometimes you can't just go and spend all the money and expect to win. You kind of have to build and get the, get these guys, like we mentioned, at a summer league, find guys in the draft, you know, pick them up where you can and just kind of build. And at this point, I think Dame is going to have to be that elder statesman point guard and leader of the team where he's going to have to develop the next generation because, yep. Yep. you know, yeah, he, he's that guy at this point. Yes, I, I totally agree. Loved everything you said there. Before we move on to one last talking point I, uh, I want to discuss before we get out of here, I do want to say one thing. I asked you which Blazers could play in this Boston-Miami series. You said, Dame, I think there's one more. I think Josh Hart gets minutes in this series, in that series for sure. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, he does. He does, I agree. He's undersized, but he's a he's a game defender, obviously okay. incredible in transition. And if he's shooting the ball the way he did in Portland, then he's definitely, definitely getting minutes in that series. Um, I, agree. I and that's, agree. And that's why the Blazers are bound to pick up up that uh, $12 million team option on him on yeah. him this summer. Uh, June 25th, by the way, is the uh, is his guarantee date for that. So the Blazers will be making a choice on Josh Hart um, June 25th. Uh, Justice, the last thing I wanted to talk about, and we were actually texting about it last night during the game, <laughs> yes, this is kind of just a uh, just a mea culpa from me. I just need to, okay. need to admit, admit something on air here. And it's just that I was completely wrong about Jason Tatum. I missed on him. I didn't like him pre-draft. Um, and again, I'm not a draft nick, and I wasn't back then in 20... I'm old. When was Jason Tatum drafted? 20... Oh, man. <laughs> I'm old, too, because I have no idea. <laughs> 2017? Um, regardless. Let's... Yeah. 2017. Um, okay. Yeah, 2017. Is that right? Okay. Um, yep. uh-huh. I didn't like him pre-draft. Uh, he was not an athlete at Duke. He wasn't even a great shooter at Duke. He had kind of, you know, has, you know, he, his body wasn't great, certainly not anything like it is now. He was even kind of more fleshy than skinny, I thought, back then. Um, uh-huh. I just didn't see any of this coming. Um, and what I texted you <laughs> last night, and at, I think it was at halftime or early in the third, it was early in the third quarter now that I remember, is that Jason Tatum in that first half played like some sort of Kevin Durant, Kobe Bryant hybrid getting getting wherever he wants on the floor uh you know really slithery dribble um, he's kind of right in between those guys in terms of size making an impact defensively finding the open man uh taking double teams and just you could just see how how slow the game how slowly the game is moving for him now and then jimmy butler in the heat flipped the switch in the third quarter it was unlike anything i've ever seen a lot of that had to do with i think with pj tucker coming back um he's made such an impact in that third quarter last night but even a guy like tatum um after that incredible first half where i compared him to two of the you know 
10, 12 best players of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you'll, you'll see what, you'll see what happens against a great defense like Miami's. He had back-to-back turnovers where Jimmy Butler came where Jimmy Butler, uh, Jimmy Butler cheated a passing lane and got, got two pick sixes. And then I think he had four or five turnovers just on the pass in that third quarter alone. And that was obviously the deciding part of that game. So I really just wanted to say how wrong I was about Jason Tatum. He's an incredible player. I think he's going to be a top five player for the next, you know, at least next half decade along with really just Luca at this point. I'm not sure. I'm not sure who else we can say will definitely, definitely be there for that long. Maybe Jokic. Um, Giannis, of course. Yep. Got almost, almost forgot about Giannis. Yeah, um, but yeah, just wanted to get that on record is that in, you know, who knows? Maybe there are Celtics fans listening to this podcast. Just wanted yeah. to get it on record. I was you said yuck, Lakers. <laughs> I was wrong. I was wrong on Tatum. I thought Jalen Brown could be better than him. I don't think that's a ridiculous take. Uh, now it's if, not. You know, it's, it's not. not. Jalen's Jalen's really really good, but Jason Tatum yes. is on a different level, um, and it's just been really 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 fun to see his development uh, this season, especially. Man. Uh, I will say, I will have to admit, I don't know if we had the same view, but I will have to admit, I did pay more attention to Jalen Brown when he was at Cal than I did pay to Jason Tatum mm. uh, when he was at Duke. Uh, this kid, I think I've been tweeted it last night during the game. Whatever he learned from Kobe, whatever Kobe told him when they had their little training sessions and you know got in the gym to work on fundamentals and footwork, this this kid listened. He, he, he listened and he's got it down to muscle memory is insane and i mean a lot of people were talking about it yesterday especially during the game talking about the top five top three players in the league right now and i just made it plain and clear as day i put him at number two whoa uh, right yeah 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 listen i I put him at number two right under giannis at number one right now because this this is the guy that sent kevin durant home i think a lot of people forget that he sent kd home also, I don't think he individually, he far outplayed KD, obviously, right. and had some incredible moments on KD defensively, even blocking blocking his jumper, blocking Kevin Durant's jumper. Oh, my God. Right. How does that happen? Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm talking about it right now, and I, I still can't believe it's real. Um but yeah, I think the Celtics sent Kevin Durant home more than uh, True. more than more than Jason Tatum did. But I will say this: I I'm not sure I agree with you on Tatum being a top two player, the second best player in the world right now. Top five? Um, yeah, no, I think we're getting there. But but I think but I, I I like I like your case because we're we're seeing in the playoffs, and again, we can get back to kind of get back to the Blazers, uh, the value of wings, drink, right. Um, <laughs> You know, we see we see Joel Embiid uh, in the playoffs, and he's just not very versatile defensively. Mm-hmm. We don't want Joel Embiid out on the floor uh, trapping pick and rolls. Like say they met the, say they met the Warriors in the playoffs. What are you going to do uh, or in the finals? What are you going to do against Steph Curry if you're if you're Doc Rivers and you have Joel Embiid out there? Same against Luka Doncic. Uh, the same goes for Nikola Jokic. He was ex- he was exploited defensively um, against the against the Warriors. Um, we're seeing this now, where again, it's just wings are what you need. You need apex mm-hmm. predator wings, um, and those guys are the most valuable players this time or this time of year. And for me, um, as valuable as, as MVPs are, and I do not think they should be discounted. What really matters is is who is who the best players in the NBA are in May, in April, May, and June. And we are seeing Jason Tatum even cement himself even harder as a top five player in the playoffs. And that's after finishing, I think, fourth in MVP voting during the regular season. Um, it's just been incredible. 
And, you know, the Celtics all of a sudden have, you know, kind of a mini dynasty on their hands, I think. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, no, uh, they, they've got a squad. They they are the most well-built team in the NBA to me. And this is something I've said on this podcast before, and we can kind of start leaving after this because at this point, <laughs> I'm, I'm just rambling and you're just kind of listening. Um, <laughs> it's, vi- it's, vi- it's much, much easier to build a team in the NBA uh, when, you, when you're when you building around two guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. You can play multiple mm-hmm. positions. You can do multiple things. You can put out fires defensively. You can score at all three levels of the floor. The Blazers don't have a single guy like that. And that's, uh, you know, that's where we are. And it doesn't seem like they'll be getting one with the number seven overall pick of the draft. Justice. Wow. Yeah. Do you have, do you have anything else to say? No, I was going to say, wow. I, I love the way you tied that up. That That's very professional of you. That's very <laughs> professional. Just trying to live up to your example. Um, oh, please. <laughs> tell everyone where they can find your, book, uh, your, your comments, all that. Absolutely. On a regular basis. Um, I will tweet slander and uh, my commentary and analysis of uh, the NBA playoffs, Eastern Conference and Western Conference finals. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. That's at Justice Rogers TV. That's at J-U-S-T-U-S-R-O-G-E-R-S-T-V. Also on Instagram, but mostly on Twitter, uh, talking hoops, culture, entertainment, uh, but mostly hoops uh, with my good friend Jack Winter. You can find me at Armstrong Winter on Twitter. I have an Instagram, haven't posted in years. Um, and you can find all my work uh, on the Blazers and the NBA in general at Clutch Points. And of course, Justice, we want our listeners to uh, leave reviews for us. And not just five-star reviews. Whatever review you want to you leave, leave them on your favorite podcast player. Uh, however you're listening to this show right now, we would really appreciate it. Until next week, this has been Talking Trailblazers. Justice, thanks for coming on. I will talk to you in seven days. Absolutely. Sounds good. All right, man. Thanks. Thanks.